Good evening. This is Quintus Curtius, and this is the fourth lecture in our series on Cicero's Stoic Paradoxes. This lecture is brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Publications. And in our previous lectures, we've talked about the life of Cicero, the basis of Cicero's thought, and the fundamentals of Stoic doctrine. And in this lecture, we're going to get into the actual uh, questions that are discussed in Cicero's Stoic Paradoxes. We'll be discussing the first two propositions, which are the first one, which is uh, that what is honorable is the only true good, and the second paradox, which is when virtue is present in a man, nothing will be lacking for proper living. Now, before we get into the specifics of discussing these propositions, I want to repeat one thing that I've said earlier about Stoic paradoxes. Don't be confused by the word paradox. Cicero uses this word to discuss his propositions in the book, but this was an importation from the Greek language. It probably would have been better if he had used the word questiones or questions. Uh, if he had done that, the title of his book would be Stoic Questions. That might be a more appropriate, in my mind at least, title for a book, because he's not really discussing paradoxes in, this, in the English sense of this word, where, where we are reaching unexpected conclusions from certain uh, premises and propositions. He's just using the word as its terminology indicates in, in, uh, in Greek philosophical terminology. So don't be rattled or sidetracked by the use of the word paradox. These, there are no paradoxes here. These are just questions and propositions of Stoic ethical principles. So let's discuss the first paradox, which is uh, what is honorable is the only true good. Now there are five main points of this first paradox, this first question. The first is that wealth is an illusion, and the wise man will not seek material things. Point number two, uh, what is a good? In other words, what is the definition of a good thing? It is an action rightly done. Cicero also gives historical examples from Roman history of men who have shunned material goods. Number four, those who believe that pleasure is the chief good are deluded. And the fifth point, which is pleasure upsets the mind and distracts it from the true good. So these are the main points. These are the five major points that are brought up in the first a paradox of Stoic Paradoxes, which comes under the title heading that what is honorable is the only true good. And I'll just say here, if you don't have the book, you can certainly get it from my website. You can go to my website, qcurtius.com, and you can order it there by clicking on the Books tab, and that takes you right to the Amazon link, and you can get it there. But it's up to you. These lectures are meant to be able to stand alone on their own. You don't need the book to appreciate the lectures, but one thing I will uh, promise you is after getting through all of these lectures, you will know Stoicism. You will know the major ethical principles of Stoicism, uh, but I think it's also good to have the book with you because that way it the, the book actually gets into much greater detail than I can give in a series of podcast lectures like this, but I think the lectures are a good way to refresh one's recollection if one has already read the book or to, uh, to serve as a good introduction to actually getting the book. All right, 
Let's go to paradox one here. We've gone over the five major points that he discusses in the first paradox. And, you know, this is probably one of the major points of Stoicism. You know, the, what is the good? What is the only true good? And Cicero starts out this essay by really talking about the people who seem to be the most miserable in their lives are the ones who are always spending their time searching after material goods, trying to satisfy an ever-escalating series of desires. And he says, the thirst of desire in anyone is neither filled nor satiated. And those who have such material things are tortured by an ever-increasing desire, as well as by the fear of losing those things. Well, this is true. No one is going to say that money doesn't matter, that material things don't matter, that uh, comfort doesn't matter. But it's all a matter of degree. And when we construct our entire lives around pursuing these things, we become obsessed with them. They seize hold of our spirits and they take possession of them to the exclusion of everything else. And this really is what we need to be guarding ourselves against. And this really is what Cicero means when he goes into this sort of detail. And he uses a very good analogy here, which is a, a parable from the ancient world, which finds many different analogies. There are, there are uh, some versions of this story where the poet Simonides is used. In this example of the analogy, he uses the the philosopher Bias, Bias of, of Priene, who was uh, who lived from 620 to 550 BC. He was a pre-Socratic philosopher of Greece. And there's a story told about him what, when his city, Priene, was taken by the enemy and everyone was fleeing with their belongings. He was told by someone to do the same thing. Hey, get all your stuff, Bias, and let's go get out of here. The enemy is coming. And everyone noticed that he wasn't carrying anything. And they said, hey, do you need to get your possessions? And he said, I'm already doing this. I am already carrying them with me. And what he meant by this, obviously, was that he didn't need any material goods. Everything he had was contained within his own mind. And there is a lot of wisdom in this. You know, we, we hear a lot about people liquidating their personal possessions, going and doing things and living a life overseas. And this mentality, this philosophy has uh, strong antecedents, and we see it here with this analogy. And again, it's something that obviously can be taken too far if we take it too far to the extreme, but it is definitely something that can enhance our own sense perceptions and enable us to wean ourselves off the craving for material goods and physical desires. Which leads me into the second point, which is, what is a good? What is the definition of a good thing? And this is a very important point that Cicero talks about here. And I'm going to quote directly from the book. This is, uh, again, Paradox 1, Section 9. He says, I believe the only true good, and that which is truly said to be a good thing, is that which is done rightly, honestly, and with virtue. Now, it seems like a common sense definition of a good, but it really it's very profound when we think about it. Things that are done rightly, honestly, and with virtue. These are goods. And he, after, after laying out this definition, Cicero goes on to give examples from Roman history 
about historical figures who did possess the type of virtue that he's talking about. He talks about Romulus, the founder of Rome, Numa Pompilia, who was the lawgiver. He talks about some other figures that are probably lesser known to modern readers, which I describe in detail in footnotes that I give to the book, so you don't have to worry about figuring out who these people are. I do all that work for you. He talks about uh, Caius Mucius, Cocles, uh, Caius Fabricius, Manius Curius, uh, and of course Cicero's favorite, which is Scipio Africanus. So he uses these historical figures to illustrate his points that these were men who, if not shunning material goods, they were able to at least control their desire for them. And that's what really is important. And finally, his last argument along these lines, he says, and this is something that he brings up in many of his other writings, that those who construct their lives around pleasure, and this is section 14 in the first paradox, uh, are no better than animals. And this is something that really we need to keep in mind. Man is special. Humans are special. Man is special. We were created differently from the beasts. We were created uh, to be endowed with the powers of reason and sense perception in a way that the animals do not have. And to reject this inheritance is nothing less than a crime. He says, You have been granted, whether it came from God or from nature, a soul which is the most supreme and divine thing. Would you humiliate and prostrate yourself to such an extent that you would believe there is no difference between, between you and an unreasoning quadruped? This is really comes down to the heart of the Stoic ethic, and it is an ethic. Here Cicero is making an ethical argument, and he's saying, we're different from the animals. Every barnyard animal out there, every animal living in the jungle or swinging through the trees or walking across walking across the dusty savannas is animated by instant satiation of its pleasures. Man should be different. We have the power of reason. We should be aiming for higher goals. We should be aiming for goals that are much more virtuous and much more enduring and lasting. So this is the main points of his first paradox. Let's move on to the second one. And this is paradox number two. And this one is titled, When virtue is present in a man, nothing will be lacking for proper living. And what are the main points of this paradox, of this question? Well, are, the main points are these. There are three of them. Virtue is an incredible well of strength, number one. Number two, death and exile are not real threats to the man of virtue. And number three, the truly wise man cannot be miserable. And this is probably one of the most profounder, one of the more profounder paradoxes in the book, because these are points that really get to the heart of the Stoic ethic. And Cicero uses argumentation here to make his points. The uh, second, second paradox is constructed almost like a, a harangue or a speech that he's making to someone. And he really uh, makes a compelling argument here that neither death nor misfortune can threaten the man of virtue. And he says uh, in section 18, 
Do you threaten me with death, that I must flee into exile from all men, or from bad men? Death is terrible to those from whom all life has been snuffed out, not for those whose glory still remains. Exile exists for those whose place of living is circumscribed within certain bounds, but not for those who call the entire world their city. Now think about that. Death and exile can only hurt the man who is limited in his vision, who is circumscribed by very narrow boundaries. But to the true man of the world, to the true person who has risen above these petty uh, accommodations, nothing can hurt him. And this is why we should be striving in our studies of Stoicism to attain this type of mentality so that we can make ourselves invulnerable. And this really, in many ways, is one of the main reasons why I think young men need to study Stoicism is because it makes you better, it makes you stronger, it makes you more pure, and it enables you to withstand the what Hamlet called the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune because we're all going to get them. We're all going to get them no matter, no matter what we do. Life has a way of balancing out good experiences with bad experiences. And everyone knows how to handle good experiences, but what we need special training in is how to handle ourselves when misfortune hits us. The most profound part of the second paradox comes at the end in section 19, which I will read. And this really comes down to the idea that virtue alone is really what is going to enable us to withstand running the race of life. He says, Because no wicked, doltish, or lazy man can have peace of mind, so it also is true that a strong, good, or wise man cannot be in a state of misery. No man whose virtue and behavior should be praised cannot also have a life that should be praised. Furthermore, a life of running away from things is hardly a praiseworthy life at all. A life of fleeing is a miserable life. We conclude, then, that whatever is praiseworthy ought to be seen as happy, advantageous, and suitable. So this encapsulates Cicero's argument that a man of virtue can never be hurt, can never be touched, can never really truly be ruined, and that the converse is also true. A life of fleeing, of hiding, of dodging, of avoiding, of being a slave is a miserable life. This concludes our fourth lecture, our discussion of the first and second of the paradoxes of Cicero's Stoic Paradoxes. This lecture was brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Publications. Join me on our next lecture where we will take up the next few paradoxes in the book. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.